0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Thank you so much. I'm going to share a word with you this morning called the healer of our minds. Jesus is the healer of our minds. We have a part of our being that never stops, and it's our minds. This restless place just constantly going, 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 going. And uh, we have one, a Savior, who is the healer even of our minds. And this is a message that's not often talked about in the church. Because we think of, it, we think of our minds and the recent developments of neuroscience and, and all that's now understood regarding human psychology. And so we think the Bible or the gospel is irrelevant to our minds. But I have a message for you this morning. That the full gospel includes good news for our minds. It is good news for your mind, that part of your being, the entirety of who you are. Jesus Christ came to earth. He purchased a price for you on a cross. He rose from the dead to demonstrate his authority then over death, to proclaim good news even to your minds. So I want to prove to you this morning that the Bible actually has a lot to say about our minds. And then, obviously, Jesus as the healer of our minds. Jesus paid for peace in your minds this morning, and that includes anxiety, that includes depression, as we just sung about. It includes oppression. It includes fear. It includes suicidal thoughts and self-hatred. It includes all those things. Jesus is the healer of our minds. This is... um, Obviously, one of the premier issues facing our generation. Pandemic proportions right now, the things that are facing our generation, it's, it's re, um, regarding this mental suffering right now in our generation. Saw a recent study, a uh, study of, they, they took a look at intake reports from 300 different emergency rooms from the years of 2007 to 2015, looking at adolescents specifically. And they, they found in just that eight-year period uh, the rates of suicide attempts doubled in that, just that eight-year period. You guys are aware of that. The, the mental suffering happening, it, it impacts each and every one of us. If you yourself are not suffering with some sort of mental, uh, mental suffering or illness, you know somebody that is. Another report from the uh, Center for Disease Control said that out oh, for the third consecutive year, the first time in U.S. history, Three consecutive years, there's been a decline in life expectancy. And they point to drug overdoses and suicide are the two reasons right now medical science can't keep up with life, inspe- life expectancy going up. That should be the natural way of hum- as we progress and learn more about how God created us. Three years in a row, we are in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of something severe. But I want, I want to speak a message of hope, that we have a message for that. Th- those things that are ailing this generation, we have a message. So I point you first to Matthew chapter 9 to, sh- to demonstrate that Jesus is compassionately, um, his heart is breaking for this generation, his heart is compassionate towards you in suffering that you experience mentally, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked across the masses, the crowds, and he did not see nameless faces. Instead, what he saw was sheep without a shepherd. He said he, what he saw were these ones who were harassed and helpless, and he was moved with compassion. So this morning, I proclaim good news, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, even for the healing of our minds for you this morning. And if you hear and you yourself are experiencing suffering mentally, I want to speak good news to you. And I want you to see Jesus as that one who sees you as harassed and helpless. And he doesn't want you to stay there. Instead, he's moved with compassion towards you in your suffering. If you're here this morning and you're not experiencing mental suffering, I want your heart to be moved like Jesus. I don't want you to grow cold or callous or cynical about what's facing our generation, what's facing your neighbor, what's facing your, your, your family and loved ones. Instead, I want your heart to be moved like Jesus' heart is moved. That he sees these ones as harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, and his heart is moved. And we we even talked about this last week, how Jesus' response was after that in Matthew chapter 9 was to commission the church, to commission the disciples. That's always his response of compassion. So God is calling you to be a vessel of change in this generation, to bring good news that's what he's in the business of doing is bringing good news to broken lives. I hung out th- this week with, with a longtime member of our church. And sad to say, I had, I, this was the first time I had heard his testimony at length. But I love hearing the testimonies of the saints of God. And here is one who encountered Christ decades ago, and yet he was moved to tears at his story, at his testimony of encountering Jesus for the first time. He grew up around church, he grew up around a religion, but right out of high school, what he turned to was the bottle, and he became a drunk, 18, 19 years old. That's how he medicated the pain of his life and the experiences, the the holes that he knew he had in his soul, he turned to the bottle, and he became a drunk, ended up ruining his marriage until he stepped foot into this church 20 some years ago and felt like the the, the pastor was speaking directly to his heart, you ever had that moment? Maybe that's you this morning. (laughs) And it happened six weeks in a row. It was like the pastor was reading his mail. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's fully relevant to your life. Praise God today, he's not a drunk. Because the gospel is relevant to addictions, depression, anxiety, oppression, fears, all of these things that ail us. The good news of Jesus Christ is relevant. So if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. This is where we've been for weeks now. Six weeks, I think, we're We're going now. Six weeks and counting. This is an inexhaustible passage describing the coming Messiah centuries before he steps foot on the planet. It's a beautiful articulation. This vision that Isaiah had of Jesus. And it points us to the atoning work of Jesus and says in verse four, Surely he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And we we talked about in weeks prior how those literally can be translated because of other areas in the Old Testament. Those words, those Hebrew words are used can literally be translated as sickness and pain. But it obviously also encompasses our griefs and our sorrows. He has borne those things, our sickness and our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and we praise God for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that gives us a clean start. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed or by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We'll keep reading in verse nine. He says, he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he's done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the picture we get the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, who's afflicted and oppressed for you and for me. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he took our place. Now I want us to turn specifically to those words that, that are translated into the English language, oppression and affliction. These are words that, that um, encompass the idea of a ruler tyrannizing its subjects, being lorded over, being tormented. And that's what Jesus subjected himself to for you and for me. And I would say a vivid description of what you and I endure when we experience mental suffering is like we're being tyrannized. It's like we're being tormented. I don't see myself as as a counselor, I'm a pastor. But as I live life in the trenches with people and people talk about their mental suffering, those are the words they oftentimes use to describe what they're experiencing. They feel like they're being tyrannized, like they're being tormented. It's relentless. And Jesus was oppressed and afflicted. That's what he endured for you and for me. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he stood in our place to offer us something different. And in verse five, that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. In verse five, it says, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon him was the punishment that brings you and me peace. And that, that word peace is the familiar Hebrew word shalom. You've probably heard that word before, shalom, which means soundness. It means wholeness. But in this context, I want you to cling to to these definitions which are also encompassed in shalom. It's tranquility and quiet. So if you think of the mental suffering that we experience being this relentless, tyrannizing, tormenting, suffering and affliction, Jesus purchased for you and for me the tranquility and the quiet of peace. He purchased that for you. There is hope that can be found. And it was found upon him on the cross. And he demonstrated that he had the authority to purchase that for you by rising from the dead. There is peace from this affliction that you experience, that you walk through. There's peace for the tyrannizing, tormenting affliction that your neighbor faces. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's shalom. It's purchased for you. We live in the 21st century, and so we think we've arrived at this this place that now has usurped or uh, made the Bible irrelevant to our suffering. Like we've figured it out. Human psychology, neuroscience. And so we often disregard the Bible when it comes to mental suffering. We just leave that to the psychologist. But this morning, I want to make make a, a point to point you towards the Word of God as having a real, tangible, relevant authority in your life. I'll give you a number of examples about how the Bible is not um, ignorant or oblivious to this reality that we suffer from. I'll point you all the way back to the very beginning, to the first book that scholars uh, uh, say was written, which is the book of Job. Obviously, the book of Job is a story about a tremendous suffering that that he had to endure because of an attack from the enemy. Keep that that part of the story clear. All those attacks on Job. Yes, God allowed it, but it came from the enemy. Let's call it like it is. It's always from the enemy, that confusion, that destruction, that affliction. But we see in Job chapter 3, the state of desperation he finds himself in. Which is very similar to the desperation we we find ourselves in if we're we're facing depression. Self-hate, suicidal thoughts. Job chapter 3, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. He had lost everything. And for him, it was like, what's the point anymore? I want an end to this. Job faced those suicidal thoughts. And there's many other examples in the book of Job of that level of desperation. Jeremiah He's known as the weeping prophet. He experienced despair and depression. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. Son is born to you, making him very glad. That's the state Jeremiah found himself in. Complete desperation, suicidal thoughts. It's like, I don't even want to go on sounds very familiar to the statistics I quoted at the very beginning, the things that are facing this generation. The Bible talks about it, and obviously a key figure that walked through severe seasons of desperation and or depression is King David. Hero of the faith, but you don't have to search too far in the Psalms to realize this, this man had, uh, he had to endure certain suffering mentally. And emotionally. And so if you're here in this place and you are experiencing anxiety or depression or oppression, this kind of relentless onslaught of mental affliction, I want you to write these psalms down. Psalm 3 through 13. Psalm 3 through 13. Because King David, in these 11 psalms, he gives us a pattern to hopefully stoke some fresh faith in you. That there is hope in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean just um, pretending it away, ignoring it, the suffering and the affliction that you're enduring. You don't have to just have to ignore it away. David is relentlessly honest and raw about what he is facing. So I'll just set up on the screen. You can, you can follow along with me. You can track with me the, um, the pattern that, that King David walks through time and time again. In Psalm chapter 4, he, sa- he says, Answer me when I call. Where are you, God? Are you there? Do you hear me? If you've been in those seasons of desperation, those are the types of prayers you want to pray. Maybe you don't pray them. Psalm chapter five, he says something similar. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. He continues to get more and more honest. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. It's like, Lord, do you see me? I am desperate. I'm at an end of myself. Psalm chapter 10. Why do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Is that not how you feel? When you're being tyrannized and tormented by the enemy and these scripts that just replay in your mind. It's like, where are you, God? Do you see me? Why are you hiding yourself? Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? It's like he's answering his own question. How, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? He's honest. And so I encourage you in your prayers and in your battle with these uh, this mental suffering you don't have to you don't have to wish it away or ignore it away you can be honest and raw with god you can pray these types of prayer but here's the caveat you have to commit to not staying there because david never stayed there and you can see this pattern then unfold here in these psalms Right at the beginning of every psalm, it's that in in Psalm 3-13, through it's this state of desperation. Where are you, God? Are you going to hide your your face from me forever? Don't you hear me? And then he always ends in this way. The end of Psalm chapter 4, the last verse, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. He was confident. He had an encounter with the peace of God, with the shalom of God. That I know, God, I'm going to sleep easily. Psalm 5, you cover me with your favor as with a shield. You're my refuge, God. You're my fortress. Psalm 6, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has accepted my prayer. In those number of verses, he had a breakthrough of faith that that allowed him to make that declaration. The Lord has accepted my prayer. He heard my languishing. Psalm chapter 10, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Somehow he had that encounter with the Holy Spirit that allowed him to make that declaration of faith. And that's where you have to be committed to going to with Christ. You're locking arms with him and you you state a prayer of desperate, raw honesty. And it's in that place of faith that then he encounters you and allows you to make that declaration. God, you hear the desire of the afflicted. And then uh, Psalm 13 it's is quite the turnaround from God. Will you forget me forever? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Then Psalm 13, the end of it, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's quite the turnaround. Obviously, he won't forget him forever. Instead, he realizes. He comes to his, falls to his knees and realizes God has dealt bountifully with me. So the Bible is not silent about our men, mental affliction Things that we suffer with, uh, from mentally. And obviously, as Jesus ministered for three and a half years, he didn't disqualify those that were suffering mentally. Instead, he also ministered to them. We see that Jesus healed individuals of seizures, epile- epileptics, Matthew uh, chapter 4. Jesus heals individuals oppressed and possessed by demons. We'll talk a little bit more about that, how there is an aspect of our mental health that can be tormented by the demonic, by, by spiritual attacks. That's a reality. We don't talk about it much in the Western church, but it is a reality. And mostly, of what we see in the Gospels is Jesus confronting that specific onslaught from the enemy, that sort of torment, and he sets them free every single time. There are some that are harder to cast out. He says these only come out through prayer and fasting. But every single time his his will for those individuals is clear. It's for them to experience freedom and wholeness. Jesus heals individuals troubled with unclean spirits in Luke chapter 6. And that word troubled is different than possession and oppression. These ones who are just tyrannized by, by unclean spirits. Jesus calls out anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about your life. If only were that easy. <laughs> Don't be anxious about your life. Your heavenly father knows you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus repeatedly acknowledges fear as the opposite of faith. So yes, the Bible doesn't talk about every aspect of our, of our intellect and of our mind, but the Bible's not silent about it either. And Jesus made no exceptions when it came to mental health, and he looked at these individuals and wanted to, wanted them to experience peace and shalom. That was his heart for them, clear and simple. Matthew chapter ten, Jesus makes his will about fear. To be, he makes it very clear. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God Almighty. And not two sparrows sold for a, or are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable. You are more valuable than a sparrow or than sparrows. You have nothing to worry about. There's no fear or anxiety in Jesus. So this is what I want to ground us in this morning. It's this main idea that truth is always the foundation for peace. So anytime you experience a lack of peace, it's because there's an attack on truth every time. And so here's where I'll unpack the, the different dimensions of our um, mental affliction. There is a physiological side, a biological side, which we are learning tons about in our age. And praise God for godly doctors and godly counselors. We praise God for those individuals. He's the one who, who gives them that intellect and that wisdom and innovation. It's an aspect, but any time we experience physiologically, biologically, mental suffering, it is an attack on truth. Every time, paranoia and anxiety and depression, it's an attack on, on truth. And on the other side, there is also a spiritual dimension to it. The demonic is real. It's actually the greatest reality. You know, when we talk about the presence of God, we're not saying that there's moments where God is not present. We're saying we, in that moment, we've become more aware of God's reality than anything else. That's what we mean when we say the presence of God is here. It's like He is the ultimate reality. Everything else is going to get washed away, and He is the ultimate reality. That's what the presence of God is. And so there is a spiritual dimension to our reality, and it afflicts us, it torments us, it tyrannizes us. And that's always an attack on truth. That's how, the, that, that's how the chief liar of all liars uh, attacks us. It's by attacking truth. So if we want to experience peace, we have to immerse ourselves, ground ourselves, firmly establish ourselves on this foundation of truth. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trivializing it. I don't say we're going to talk about this one idea to say it's just the, the simple pill. You take it and everything's fixed and grand and wonderful. But this is, a, this is a, um, a mindset that you can adopt for a lifetime. And this was actually uh, a truth that God imparted to my heart in a season of anxiety that I faced. We moved here to Iowa eight years ago, not knowing a soul, to help pioneer the Chi Alpha at Iowa State. And God moved in amazing ways. Many students came to know Christ, and Chi Alphas began sprouting up across the state. We went from zero Chi Alphas in Iowa to eight in just a matter of a few years. And God was moving But after about four or five years, it just seemed like there was this attack that was relentless. There was issues rising up in the the, the team across the state, and it began to take a toll on me, honestly. And I began to experience anxiety. I'd never experienced anxiety, this tightness in my chest, that feeling like you're, you know, when your heart kind of skips a beat, like someone's frightening you. I had that throughout the day because these thoughts would come into my mind and this anxiety would rise up in my chest and tighten my chest. It was horrible i'd have sleepless nights tossing and turning it was that relentless anxiety that we hear so much about today but i praise god for amazing friends and godly mentors that encouraged me to seek out christian counseling so i praise god for christian counseling you're not, you're not weak or spiritually inept if you go to a Christian counselor. I encourage you to seek out godly counsel. At the same time, I believe that God can even use medicine. So I'm not here trying to say, you just repeat these words, and then you will never have to take any sort of medicine for your mental ails again. God can use that. They, like I talked about the very first week, the aim is healing. That's the aim. Is wholeness and heal healing and soundness in Jesus Christ. So what you do, what's necessary for you today, and what's in front of you today. That's what you do today. I mean, there's grace for today. There's place for counseling, there's place for medicine. For myself, I didn't didn't need medicine, but for me, Christian counseling was a huge blessing, a huge grace in my life. It was this counselor that began to give give me tools to say it like it is and to to uh, label these scripts that were going on in my head. And there were three lies specifically that he helped me identify and actually wrote them out on these little cue cards. It was was very empowering for me to see these lies written out on cue cards before me and to be like, obviously, those are lies. One lie that the enemy was just relentless with was this lie that I'm alone. See, there were things happening in the ministry that felt like everything was falling apart and people were getting carried away and taken away, other leaders across the state, and I felt all alone. Obviously, when that lie is before me, I know it's not true. The second lie that he helped me identify is this lie that God is not good because I'm experiencing bad things, evil, and I'm suffering, that somehow God must not be good. That was the lie that I wrote out before me. The third lie was this, that I was not cut out for ministry. I'm not cut out for this. Obviously, only, I've only made it a few years. Here I am this young punk. I should be able to do something more than this. And I felt like I wasn't cut out for ministry. There's power in just labeling those lies for what they are and saying those are lies. There's power in that. But he helped me go beyond that as well and helped me begin to replace those lies with truth and so I had these, these go-to scripts that I've, if I could label this reality that I know I'm not alone. In fact, I'm surrounded with friends, my, my companion for life, my wife. I know I'm not alone. On top of that, I know I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Jesus gives me this promise that he'll never leave me, even to the end of the age. I have those promises. So I immerse myself in that truth. And it's in that place you experience shalom. You experience tranquility and quiet. It's all of a sudden the, the script of the enemy doesn't have that power over you anymore. That second lie that, that God is not good. I began to realize that I can say this situation is not good. This situation is not good, but that does not discredit God's goodness. It's not an attack on God's goodness. I can look all around me and see evidence of God's goodness. The breath in my lungs, the beauty of this creation points to God's goodness. God's goodness. And evil in this world is not an attack on God's goodness. I could say it like it is. And that third lie, that I'm not cut out for this. I'm not cut out for ministry. I'm not cut out for what God's called me to do. is a complete lie. Because I don't do what I do because I'm qualified. I do, what I'm do, what I do what I'm do. Can I speak? I do what I do out of obedience. God's called me to do something, so he's going to equip me to do it. And that's true for any of us. The day I'm not called to do this is the day I quit. I don't do it because I'm qualified. I, I know God's gonna equip me in that place of complete surrender. That was so pow- powerful for me. And I'm not saying it was instant, an instant breakthrough of freedom. The scripts just vanished away overnight. But I began to realize, I began to like dismember them piece by piece and replace them with truth. And there's so much power in that. When you just come back to that foundation of truth, And establish yourself on that. You see, when you experience that lack of peace, that foundation of truth is being attacked. So that's why everything just seems to be in question. Everything in your life just seems to be spinning. It's because the foundation is spinning. The enemy is trying to throw you for a spin. So, in closing this morning, I want to bombard you with truth. If truth is the antidote for our lack of peace, I want to bombard you with truth from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, we see, and you can claim this over your life when you experience a lack of peace, when you experience anxiety, depression, oppression, addictions, any sort of mental suffering. You can claim these truths over your life. Verses four and five, that my affliction and oppression was on Jesus. When you experience that mental affliction, that tyrannizing from the enemy, you're being mentally tormented. You can declare this. This was on Jesus. This is what he bore. He bore it upon himself on the cross. This was on Jesus. In theological terms, we call this the substitutionary atonement. He stood in your place. So the things that you're experiencing, the things you're suffering from, you can say, oh yeah, he stood in my place. He took this upon himself. And you can say that every time. Every time. I'm not saying it's all going to go away instantly. Every time you say that. My affliction, my oppression, my depression, my anxiety, my addictions, my self hatred, my suicidal thoughts, it's on Jesus. It's on him on the cross. Every time. Tomorrow morning, when those thoughts flood into your mind, you can say, this is on him. It's on him on the cross. He's being tyrannized for you. Second truth is this. As I bombard you with truth to help rebuild your foundation, peace was purchased for you. He didn't just take it upon himself and then leave you empty. He gives something to replace those those holes in your heart, those holes in your soul, and it's shalom. It's the tranquility and peace and quiet of heaven. It's the peace of Jesus Christ. And in verse five, it says, upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, that brought you shalom, the quiet and the tranquility that surpasses all understanding. And so there's multiple layers to this peace. You can explore the shalom of God for the rest of your life. Obviously, in the most basic level, it's peace with the Father. We are are enemies of God when we come into this world simply because of our sin, separated from the Father. And it's Jesus that brings us peace with the Father. The most basic level, that's the peace that Jesus purchased for us. So if everything is stripped from your life, you're like Job. Your entire family is stripped away from you. The, The country goes bankrupt. Your house is taken from you. You can know at the end of the day that you have peace with the Father. The most basic level, you have peace with the Father. But it goes beyond that because we live in a new covenant where Jesus says, it's better that I leave and I send the Holy Spirit as comforter and counselor. That's how he describes him. He's your paraclete. He's your comforter and counselor, the one that comes to dwell inside you. You got your own counselor. (laughs) He rides to work with you in the morning. He's called the Holy Spirit and he comforts you. I don't say that tritely. He really does. And if you haven't experienced it, I tell you just to pray to him in that way. God, I want to experience that comfort and counsel of your Holy Spirit. And it's in that place, when you begin to commune with the Holy Spirit, that you can experience that peace that surpasses understanding that Paul talked about. Paul, who from prison could write those words. Who was afflicted. And he said, I experience this peace that surpasses understanding. That's the shalom of heaven that you can experience that Jesus gives you. He, he takes upon himself your, your oppression and affliction, and he replaces it with, police, with peace, shalom. Not with police, with peace, shalom. I was combining peace and shalom, so not with police. Although, yeah, peace officers, they are awesome too. So." Um. Third is this that Jesus is familiar with my suffering. There's a a common lie that I hear as I hang out with people that are suffering mentally, and they, they think that what they're experiencing is off the charts, unique, and Jesus cannot relate to what they're experiencing. But you have a high priest who's experienced every temptation that you've experienced, but yet was without sin. That's why he makes that's why he really is our great high priest. He's been there. Yet he is perfect and he's he's holy. So Jesus is familiar with your suffering. And his heart truly is compassionate towards our suffering. We see that in the Gospels. Jesus was not cold towards those that suffered. Instead, he was moved with compassion time and time again. Honestly, there's a whole message I wish I could preach on the compassion that we see in Jesus. We just don't have time in this series to unpack it. But But in the gospels, time and time again, we see Jesus' healing ministry where he's moved with compassion. So you can know that he is familiar with your suffering. If everyone would just stand in this place, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. My hope at the end was just to bombard you with truth because that's what you need to begin, rebuilding the foundation for peace in your life. Are you tracking with me this morning? Awesome this is how I want us to end there's a prayer in Colossians chapter three that I want to pray over us as a church, which speaks to this main idea that truth is always the foundation for peace and I want us to to read this as a prayer over our lives, and I want us to to sing this song. this is a song that Pastor Tony wrote, a song we sang at the end of worship and It gives us an opportunity to make that declaration of faith in the truth of Jesus Christ. that he really does replace our affliction and our oppression with peace. Every single time, every single day, we have a choice to walk in that, to receive that tranquility and quiet of shalom, peace. But Colossians chapter three, this is what Paul prayed over the believers in Colossae. He said, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful and gratitude and clinging to truth are so they're so one in the same when we foster a spirit of gratitude what we're doing is declaring truth let the word of christ dwell richly in you you're rebuilding the foundation for peace by allowing the word of god to wash over you daily it's not a pill you take just to read one verse or to hang a magnet on your refrigerator. You begin to immerse yourself daily, allowing the word of God to dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this, it's all the multifaceted ways in which we can immerse ourselves in the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's in community, singing songs, I would encourage you, it's hard for you to stay in that spirit of depression and oppression if you start singing a song. You don't have to be a great singer. All David's songs were psalms. Song, I mean, all the psalms were songs. Just bring yourself into that place of singing a song to God. And whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I declare before you this morning, if there's a new ruler in your house, And it's the peace of God. Let the peace of God rule in you richly. You're no longer tyrannized by the enemy. He's no longer ruler. He has no more authority over your life. You're no longer subject to him in that way. You have a new ruler. It's the peace of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Let me pray over you. Now, I want us to respond to Jesus Christ. We're going to just bow their heads, close their eyes. Lord, I sense in this place the relevance of this message. There are so many here that, Lord, are walking through seasons of anxiety, loneliness, depression, self-hatred, suicidal thoughts, phobias. And this morning, you're making a declaration to them that you see them. You see them in their suffering. You see them in their affliction. And you're speaking to them. You're whispering to their hearts that you took their place on the cross for their affliction, for their oppression. You want to replace it with peace. That's who you are. Just respond to Jesus right now in your own way. in this place and you'd say Drew this morning I I walk in here and I had a a lot of heavy burdens of anxiety and depression and and the list goes on and on and and you're here and you say Drew I want prayer specifically for mental suffering and you'd be bold enough to raise your hand I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you but I I just want to pray a prayer over you of faith for freedom this morning You see, you can taste and see the goodness of God and it can fuel your fire walking out of this place to tap into it tomorrow morning as well if that's you just raise your hand on many hands, awesome, yes, 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 awesome. Yes, Lord, in faith, I declare of these individuals with raised hands, I declare freedom in the goodness of Jesus Christ, that even right now they'd feel the peace, the shalom of God washing over them, of finally that relentless onslaught of the enemy be quieted in the presence of Jesus Christ, be silenced right now in the name of Jesus. The affliction for a moment would stop they'd realize that there is hope in jesus christ That true truth will stand the test of time That truth will win the day in their life the truth will be again established in their life that's the reality that they're setting their lives upon this morning they're making that declaration depression has to go oppression has to go suicidal thoughts has to go In the presence of jesus we declare that this morning over every single one of these. Lord, we pray for the joy of the Holy Spirit. I pray this this afternoon, even just a relentless level of joy upon these ones. Laughter, like belly laughter, God. That's what I'm praying over them this afternoon. In your name, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.